Hello, listener. Welcome to Switch It, where we're all big Paul Walter fans now. Yes, that is an industrial quantity of recently spent fireworks you can smell in the air. And no, that won't be the last you hear about what a game changer the 100 is. But the competition has concluded for another year, giving us a chance to sift the 100 balls from the 100 BS. Joining me to do so are two men who've earned their medals during the culture wars and who, for the purposes of this podcast, fulfill the contrasting roles of jaded hack and bright eyed emissary from the future. I'll leave you to work out which is which and move swiftly on to welcoming Vitushan Ehantaraja and Matt Roller to today's show. Uh, Vish, you're already south of the river preparing to get back on the test beat with England. Um, but how was the 100 for you? And can we all rest easy in the expectation that cricket has been fixed for the foreseeable? Um, I don't know, really, in terms of fixed for, for the foreseeable, but um, I quite enjoyed ah, the 100. Cop out, man. <laughs> I mean, I quite enjoyed the 100. I um, enjoyed the women's more than the men's. I think that's pretty much how it played out last year, aside from the fact that Liam Livingston basically carried the men's competition on his back last year in terms of you know, the most front-facing element of it. Um, this year with the, you know, we kind of touched upon it, touched on it with the last show about the, you know, the changing overseas players, England players either getting injured or pulling out in the case of Reese Topley. And then, you know, that's always going to take a bit of gloss off it. But, you know, I was there at the final and, I, you know, you look around the crowd at Lords, which isn't traditionally known for, or rather is generally a traditional crowd. And you see the kids and you see the faces, you see the diversity there and, I think I'm at an age now, you know, I'm, I'm the weathered hack, if you haven't guessed, listeners. Um, I think I'm at the age now where I'm starting to think about when I might be part of the collateral. And I think my tastes are eclectic enough at the moment to find what I want from the game from a you know punter's point of view. Um, but it was hard to say that the direction of travel necessarily with the 100 was altogether bad if we're going to focus on the product itself and also what it's doing with, I suppose in terms of broadening the pool of English cricket fan, as it were, and what people are into, you know, beyond the far-reaching consequences to the domestic game and the county championship in particular, you know, obviously that's, this is, you know, quite a a casual slash, slash maybe, you know, abrasive knife in the side, depending on which camp you fall into. Um, but I think more broadly, I'm, you know, I, I definitely was there at Laws thinking, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Well, there we go. That, that'll do. I mean, I was going to say, you'll find out soon, Vish, you are expendable, just like the rest of us. Um, <laughs> Matt, you were there at the final as well. Uh, you previously, you know, we talked about this on the pod, you warned us in no uncertain terms that the 100 is here to stay regardless. So uh, with that in mind, uh, did the second season manage to build on some grudging good notices from last year, do you think? Um. It's a tough one, isn't it? They, I mean, there was definitely a sense of difficult second album about some of it. Um, as Vish mentions, I think there wasn't that standout um, performer that, that obviously you had last year with Livingston in the men's and probably Capsi in the women's as well. Whereas this year there were a lot more um, sort of sporadic ins and outs. There were players leaving. There were, I don't know. I felt a, gen a sort of general sense of fatigue around the whole tournament, really. Um, I think the, the T20 World Cup seemed like a cool new thing that we hadn't had for a while last year to build for. And um, obviously, you know, players were, were playing for spots in that, whereas this year it kind of feels like, uh, you know, oh, another one of them. Um, so even the sort of narrative around England players and how they were doing maybe felt a little bit um, 
tougher to get excited about than it did last year. Um, but yeah, I think, it, you know, you, I think attendances, average attendance, at least for the women's game was up. Um, my experience around the country was that attendances were pretty good. Crowds were good. I, you know, completely believe that it is a different audience to um, a T20 blast at, at certain grounds. I think I definitely experienced that when I went to Edgebaston where the, the, the blast doesn't really sell other than the odd derby game on a Friday night. Whereas I was there on a Monday night and they had 15,000 in and they had 20,000 for some weekend games. So there's definitely progress there. Um, that said, I still think there are, there are, you know, significant issues with it. Um, that sort of, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to prove quite difficult to solve. They need to have a sit down and have a conversation with the CPL about the fact that it doesn't make sense for either competition. The fact that there's an overlap of a week um, because, you know, it, 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 yeah, it means that the CPL doesn't get as much attention when it launches. It means that um, English players aren't realistically going to play in the CPL, whereas you could have some white ball specialists in a different format and um, it, they need to, you know, the, the TV audiences were down this year, which is a problem. Um, clearly mm. um, there, there needs to be some kind of, um, change in terms of the communications because no one knows who's playing in which game uh, in terms of overseas players uh, unless they read Crick Info pretty studiously because th there's not a lot of official stuff coming out about it and um, as much as anything I feel as though they need to um, they need to like pump up the tyres of the cricket side quite a lot more than they have um, I think the most frustrating night of the competition as far as I was concerned was I, I went to Lords to watch uh, Spirit versus I think it was Originals um, and it was it was Karen Pollard 600th T20 appearance um, you know legend of the short form game uh, he, he hit 34 off 11 something like that and all the coverage about the 100 on social media that night was the fact that Harry Kane had been there doing the toss and uh, whacking some balls around with Matt Doherty and you think well I, I completely get that this is a big thing that they want to launch and it's a bit of a gimmick and we're probably still at that stage in its evolution but there's not actually very much point paying Karen Pollard 125 grand if you're not even going to mention the fact that he's around and who he is and try and introduce him to people um so I think that's quite a long-winded way of basically saying I think I think the competition was all right and I think it had some kind of uh it, it managed to build somewhat on what had come before but I, I definitely think there's a lot of improvement um to come yeah, Matt makes a really good point there because I felt like this season of the 100 was a lot about the 100 and nominally the ECB showing you their new friends, showing you that, oh, but, you know, we're in with Harry Kane or like, you know, we're on the one show or, you know, <laughs> we, we get guest slots on, on Radio 1. Whereas I think the thing they found most awkward with, and I think it was reflected in the fact that in terms of, you know, a, the people who facilitate us as journalists and media managers were by and large, you know, not necessarily, well, you know, they, were, they weren't particularly helpful in that regard. A lot of them, I, I found a lot of the dealings with, you know, teams quite am amateurish. And I think that's something that has to change given the fact that it wants to be taken seriously as a competition. I think they've already got the cut through, but they were, I think they were still leaning on that a bit too much. I mean, the fact that, you know, the BBC have put the live sets in the, you know, between the men's and the women's games on iPlayer as if it's some kind of like, you know, Glastonbury light type deal is quite interesting, you know, and, and I'm all for showcasing new music, but at the same time, <laughs> it felt a little bit like it was a vehicle for other things. It was, 
you know, it was like maybe, you know, a 36-year-old privately educated journalist talking to you about Tyler the Creator, telling you how cool he is, you know. It was it all had a bit of that feel to it. And I think the cricket, you know, but you know, obviously it wasn't as good as it was last year. But by large, it's good enough to stand on its own two feet and be shouted about without having to rely on the frills around the side. Mm. This is, seems to be one of the sort of ongoing um, uh, tussles with kind of how the ECB best markets the game. Is it just a, a sort of um, a, a, a gateway drug? Is it entry level? This is just some cricketainment, uh, or is it the top level kind of T uh, twenty in in brackets? Is it is it you know a, a sporting event that everyone should be sitting up and taking notices of? Uh, and the ECB has long sort of said that they want like Indian players involved and that sort of thing. Presumably, you, you know, you you have to kind of be positioning it as one of the the premier leagues going around the world because Matt, as you're mentioning, the kind of clash of the CPL, uh, there there is, there is um, all, no shortage of extra leagues kind of coming into the slate that the calendar is is ever more crowded, um, and if the 100 is going to compete then part of that is about how much you pay them and and you know even there um it's not in the top bracket but um yeah it's got to be about uh, the the sporting experience as well which for me has always made the fact that it is not t20 i mean it's uh, you know classed as t20 but it's it's actually a, a slightly different format um is it, it, it takes you off potentially on a bit of a dead end because at, at some stage the best players might be thinking, well, do I really need to go and get my head around five ball sets again? You know, when it isn't going to help me uh, win the IPL, it isn't going to help me uh, in my quest to get back in, um, you know, uh, the national team for a, a T20 World Cup. Um, I mean, Matt, on the subject of the presentation of the game. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you, we talk about this stuff a lot and it can great when uh, the most sort of clear-sighted analysis on the final uh, finals day appears to come from the drummer from Bastille, um, who who talked quite cogently about the clash between club versus country um, and, and the pull of these various leagues uh, on the franchise circuit. Um, when he, otherwise he's being sort of asked fairly inane questions about uh, whether you know Ebony Rainford Brent could be a, a drummer in the band as well. Um, and then you know, there's there's minions being roped into to, 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 uh, the, the grounds. Vish has mentioned kind of the the uh, BBC introducing side of it. Do you, I mean, do you think that really matters to actually the general public who are either going to go or not going to go, but but aren't really bothered about um, whether Nasser Hussain is giving you know clear sighted, uh, even handed commentary on Sky? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because they, they, that's the the problem that this competition has always had has been the sort of you know the the very public distancing itself from actually from sort of pre existing cricket fans in the build up to it, which it feels like they've sort of been been scrambling to sort of um, take back ever since. Because clearly there is you know I think most people obviously there are there are some sort of ultras who are, are never going to enjoy the competition and they've made themselves very clear on that. I think there are a lot of um you know cr- cricket followers and cricket fans who are even if they don't love it are going to take some kind of interest in the competition um and i think it definitely has been a criticism that there hasn't been you know enough discussion about the game itself there's been some 
fairly gimmicky stuff, you know, stuff like a sponsor's power meter to tell you how how hard someone's hit the ball when they when it goes for six. Um, and there's did, not been. Did anyone was anyone actually clear on what that meant as well? Uh, no, was it no. A percentage, was it a percentage or a you know it was like that went seventy two. Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was 72, it was 72 powers, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, just me. Um, but yeah, so so and I I think that it, it was interesting actually. I was thinking about um obviously there was a point in the final where it looked like Manchester might win, and it it was quite a strange, it would have been a very strange thing if they had won because of the fact that they have in a sense their team and their season was kind of emblematic of the competition because it kept on losing its best players and then suddenly that seemed to be when the story mm. emerged but it was also a story that no one was really telling or that grip by it felt like because obviously they had a few sort of journeyman county pros doing well they had you know Richard Gleeson the, the fact that the final ball was Richard Gleeson to Lewis Gregory where you've got two sort of stalwarts of the county game was quite quite funny um <laughs> But they had they effectively had a load of good county players and some sort of I, I you know the overseas were I think Ashton Turner, Tristan Stubbs, and Josh Little in the final for for Manchester. Um, they obviously lost all these big guys, but then they, yeah they had actually quite a compelling story where they yeah they, you know they they win six games in a row or whatever it was, get through to the final, maybe have a really scrappy win, and then I was thinking, well I I don't know is this is this a story that anyone's going to care about on Monday morning? Um, mm. I, and yeah, it, it, I suppose. It, that might be partly our failings as as journalists and not telling it well enough. But I feel like on the broadcast side of things, yeah, you know, it's an easy easy criticism to make, but it does feel like they're sort of trying to pitch to eighteen different audiences at once, um, and that feels quite unsatisfactory rather than necessarily just honing in on one obvious one. Mm. I mean, you're saying is that Paul Walter should have been the name on everyone's lips uh, at the end of this competition. It's, that's what I'm hearing anyway. Yeah, basically. Um... <laughs> I mean, Torpaul sort of summed the whole thing up where, you know, it should have been Dre Russ for Manchester and it ended up being Torpaul from, from Basildon. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a really, that's a really interesting point because I think with, um, you know, the international T20 that's about to take place in the UAE is quite an interesting point of contrast here with the number of overseas players and mm. for so long T20 leagues and other franchise competitions have relied on not even, I, I mean I want to say a strong domestic base because I think that's true but also just a consistent consistent um, domestic base whereby when players get injured you can just you can roll in the alternates. Basically they're always treated as, you know um, awards dudes like the Oscars when a celebrity leaves their seat and someone comes in and fills it so that it doesn't look empty on camera, that's basically what domestic players do, and the, the English players in, in many ways. Yeah, they will, but in English players, they, the English players for this iteration of the hundred, this edition of the hundred, rather, they they kind of carried it a bit more than they would have, I suppose, than, than they were supposed to, mm. which makes it all the more interesting, given that you know, I suppose part of the framing of the hundred was the fact that it would redirect new fans to other existing avenues, and I agree with Matt in terms of like. You know, Walter versus Lewis Gregory, or sorry, rather Gleason versus Lewis Gregory for those um, last few deliveries of the whole competition. Are they necessarily, you know, was that finished gateway enough for someone to be like, God, Lewis, Lewis Gregory smoked that flat over square leg. I wonder what he's up to for the rest of the summer. I wonder <laughs> where he plays. I wonder why I can watch him outside of August. You know, in those other months when no one ever plays cricket. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of, 
and and it's hard to measure as well isn't it so yeah it, it was all more fascinating for that and mm. you know the idea that you know that all the kerfuffle from from will smead about who created will smead this that and the other um yeah it's quite an interesting thing because i feel like you know at some point those two things have got to work together and you know for the last two years there's been a quite a noticeable friction between them instead of in terms of you know the county game and the hundred i think one of the good things one of the crucial things actually as well is that people actually just take ownership of the fact that um english players doing well and sort of unlikely heroes can be a good thing like i've always loved i i think that's always one of the best bits of the ipl is not when the, you know, obviously it's great when you watch De Villiers or Andre Russell or whoever it is do really well. But what my favourite memory from this year's IPL was um, Rajat Patidar, who was a 20-year-old, a 28-year-old unknown uh, guy who comes into the RCB squad as a replacement on no sort of money, comes in and scores a crucial 100 right at the end of the group stages and gets them through. Um, I, I found that a lot more compelling as a story and Indian cricket does that really well where it sort of hypes up the fact that this guy's come from nowhere and now he's playing with superstars and isn't this great whereas in the 100 there seemed a little bit of embarrassment to be like oh you know Tool Pool's the hero of the 100 whoops that wasn't really meant to happen let's almost keep that <laughs> keep that one quiet because um, you know he's not really the guy that we pictured on all the marketing materials whereas instead I actually quite like the idea that you would then take ownership of that it's like uh, there was the guy he was called Craig Simmons in the early Big Bash. It was this like yeah. massive guy who played yeah, yeah. Perth. Um, and they again were great, where they're just like, Yeah, this is brilliant. This guy's come through the club system and here he is smoking it. Whereas, uh, yeah, there's, there's just been this sort of sight level of embarrassment and um, sort of, yeah, refusal to 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 big up the big stories when, when they're presented. Like the fact, yeah, the fact that Paul Walter, who doesn't have much of a, a record behind him, ends as joint leading wicket taker is something that you can spin either way where you say this shows how crap the hundred is or you say actually this shows how great a season he's had and is mixing it with the best with the best in the country well i think uh <laughs> paul walter might end up getting a ready one show out of this so that's something um in, in terms of the uh spectacle and, and again whether it's kind of um uh, just purely entertainment or, or from the cricket side of things uh vish the the final uh the, the finals at, at lords obviously the home of cricket um but was that pitch um ideal for showcasing uh the very best and brightest hundred ball talent that this country has to offer uh, i can recap the the scorecards uh for those who uh, weren't paying attention or who were possibly forgotten already. I mean, it's, it, it might ha happen. Um, 101 for eight uh, was Southern Brave um, in the women's game, uh, having chosen to bat, uh, overhauled 105 for five by basically by Marazan Cap, um, as in Oval Invincibles won their um, second title in a row. And, and then 120 for nine plays 121 for eight in the men's game. So um, they were close. They had that going for them. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're close in the sense that you can only score so many more runs <laughs> than someone else when there's a target to chase. But, you know, the, the women's game wasn't close. I think there was a little bit of jeopardy um, when Emily Windsor came to the crease, but Cap kind of talked her through it and, and Windsor did, did brilliantly at the end there. Mm. Uh, yeah, in terms of the Lord's pitch, I thought it was it was just another bad Lord's pitch for a final, really. Um, you know, the, you almost... I think you're allowed to judge these things, pitches in particular, during the game. And given the nature of what that, you know, what that final was supposed to be about, it wasn't good. We got a good finish, 
in the men's game, much in the same way that it wasn't a good finish finish for the 2019 World Cup final. Sorry, a good, good pitch for the 2019 World Cup final, but we got a good finish there. In terms of, I don't know, it feels crass to talk like this, but like in, in terms of what they needed from the competition, in terms of viral, viral clips, people going nuts in the stands, people reacting to what was going on in the field. It's very hard to do that for wickets. It's very easy to do that for for boundaries. You know, one of the reasons, you know, as you said at the start of the show, I'm at the Kia Oval here. And one of the reasons they have that thing where you, if you, the T20 last game, if you catch the ball, you get, you get a grand is kind of to get people focusing on the pitch because you're going to get hit. But also it's just quite an easy form of participation. It's not like, right, you know, if you, if you tell us how far a ball has deviated from, you know, off to leg, then yeah, you can, <laughs> you win a carafe of wine or something. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't good. So it's I, a I batsman's to... game. It's always a batsman's game, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I was speaking to a couple of people at the game, and there was a suggestion from people who are due to be consulted um, by the ECB board or one of the many ECB boards regarding what to improve in the hundred. Um, basically, to su- suggest a different venue. One of those being the Oval, which always does very well with these kind of um, blue ticket events when it has them. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, it just—I don't think it was a particularly good pitch. Given um, it really needed the grandstand finish, and it did get that in the men's game. We should stress that mm. tournament, which didn't have many close games, got an incredibly close final. Um, but all in all, felt like a bit of a disappointment. And even even then, uh, a game that that went down to the very last set uh, and should have gone to the very last ball because eleven off. Five, you know, was tough ask on that pitch. It was ended by a, a very bad ninety-six ball, <laughs> which went for six. And you're like, okay, well, that's probably it then. Um, uh, Matt, uh, I, I was going to say the there was some discussion um, afterwards about the sort of format of the of the playoffs. I think uh, Simon Katich in in particular kind of had some thoughts because his side um, obviously went from playing the eliminator at the a GS Bowl uh, up to uh, to London that night. I mean, I think you 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 were saying, uh, I think spoke to Matt Parkinson that Manchester Originals had to check out their hotel in Southampton, um, and if they had lost the Eliminator, would have to go and check back in. So they had somewhere to sleep that night. Uh, they won the Eliminator, so they went straight up to to uh, to London, um, and then obviously piled out into their into their hotel, and then off to Lords in the morning uh, to play the game. Um, is there, you know, is there scope for, as Katich said, kind of the uh, winner of the group stage hosting the final and the second place team hosting the eliminator? Uh, or does that then get even more complex in terms of pitches to, uh, and, uh, uh, and availability of grounds at short notice? Yeah, I think um, realistically, I think you probably because of the because of the nature of the competition at this stage and the fact that you don't exactly have like a sort of, you know, it's not like you had had to worry about Manchester Originals ultra groups and where, where they were going to stay Friday night. Um, because of that, I don't think it it is probably quite yet feasible. I think you need to sell tickets in advance for the knockout stages and host them at probably just accept that they're going to be at neutral grounds. Um, I as Fish suggests, I would move the final away from Lords. I think there's a very good reason why Blast Finals Day has never been there, and it just doesn't really work. Um. I think to be honest, you could quite easily just switch the venues for the Royal London and uh, 100 finals. I think both of them would work better at the other one. I think, you know, 100 would be great at Trent Bridge, which is, um, it has actually got a slightly, a little bit slower scoring ground in the past year or so, but it's still still one of the best mm. um, 
batting pitches in the country and has small boundaries and all that sort of thing. And I think that, they, you know, it would be a, a good sort of concession to um, county <laughs> cricket to give give it back a Lords final. Um, but yeah, it, I I don't know. I think it's a it, it's one of the it's another sort of detail that needs ironing out because. You know, it, it might have seemed like a good idea at the time to have the eliminator at the GS Bowl. There was probably a decent chance that, and obviously Southern Braves women were in it. There was probably a decent chance at the time that you would end up with Southern Braves men in it as well. Um, but as, yeah, as a neutral game, it seemed pretty odd. And like, you know, I got home to East London at about half one on Friday night, having got a lift. Um, and I, I was pretty knackered on Saturday morning, having not played a game of cricket. So um, if you want, if you want the game to have sort of competitive integrity as a as a um, a, as a tournament, then yeah, I think uh, it, it's pretty ridiculous to have that shorter turnaround between a semi and a final. Um, so yeah, one to one to fix next year, I think. What was your most recent yo-yo test, Matt? That might tell us why you were. <laughs> um, uh, Vish, in terms of um, uh, the the winners. Um... There's a slight quirk in last year. You had um, the two teams that sort of breezed through or, or topped the group stages. Um, then you know sat around for five days uh, and were beaten by the teams that won the eliminator. Um, this year, the winners of the group stages uh, were the best teams, and then you know uh, knocked the winner of the eliminator on the head as well in the final. Um, so I don't know what that tells us about you know momentum of going into a knockout knockout game and and then going on to the final or whether it's just better to be better. But um, Overland Invincibles <laughs> back to back to back champions. Um, I mean they clearly had uh, one of the best players in the competition in, in Marazan Cap who was uh, player of the match for the second final running. Um, although Nat Siver was the player of the tournament, I think. Uh, and Trent Rocket's uh, flower ball, as as Matt will perhaps explain for us, uh, was the was the far and away the kind of uh, the winner in the men's. Yeah, it feels like for the for the women's side, it feels like there's a I don't know there was something of an inevitability to a team nominally well you know nominally but like, it's basically sorry um, doing as well as they have because they backed women's cricket. For a long time, I think they put down roots in the game pretty early. Um, it's interesting when you talk to people involved in the formation of the KSL side here, whereby I think the ECB unofficially wanted them to maintain some kind of um, competition-wide integrity by capping how much they could, I suppose, compensate players. Um, and sorry, I'm particularly happy with that because players are travelling from long way away to come and play at the Oval, giving up their spare time, thus, you know, taking holiday from their proper full-time jobs. And so they tried to work around that. And they've always had a good relationship with women's players domestically and internationally. So, you know, the fact that they're able to sign up Dane and um, Marazan when they did was um, was no coincidence, really. And Cap, yeah, did brilliantly. I mean, she, well, she only ended up playing four games in the end. I think she averaged through only being out once, like 107, 108, mm. something like that. And just having her kind of big game now in that particular situation on that kind of pitch as well, just a real calming influence on everyone. And, you know, she wasn't as explosive with the ball as she was in the final um, in 2021 with four for nine, I think. But um, kind of even did a job with that as well. Um, as for the men's, you know, it's, um, there's not, I know there's not too much crossover with Nottinghamshire players, but it really feels like having that base 
at Trembridge gives you a sense of belonging and an understanding of the short form game, which they seem to exploit really well. Um, Andy, you know, Waller wrote a really good piece about um, flower ball the, uh, in the aftermath of the final. And then Sunday, you see him hang, hanging out at the ship in Wandsworth with, um, with Alex Hales. It's quite the, um, quite the, you know, character of Andy Flower, you know, dubbed the Mood Hoover by KP in his autobiography in 2014. But yeah, they they just seem to they just seem to suss it. And maybe you know, Matt touched it earlier with the dimensions of Trembridge. Maybe it comes from playing at a ground which is I don't know encourages you to play that way and encourages you to you know when you play at a ground like that, the game's never really done. And even though I felt like right, okay, Manchester Originals are going to win this, I might as well change my you know how my match report is going to be. Um, you know the fact the fact that they won it with balls to spare in the end was was remarkable. Yeah, but comfortably, you know, even even the fact that they lost Shamsi on the, you know, on the eve of the final mm. because he was going off to play in the CPL, and to be able to you know have someone like Matt Carter come in and you know do all right. I can't remember his figures off the top of my head, but the fact that he was trusted to come in and do that job, um, I suppose spoke of you know a real understanding of of what they had to deal with from international players to domestic players as well. Yeah, Matt. I mean, you wrote about them a couple of times, or, or more, I'm sure, in the tournament. But the 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 opening partnership, um, obviously, uh, the, some of these things are quite straightforward things that that you know you want to tick off. But have some good openers, um, have depth. Uh, I mean, you talk about the all rounders, um, and, uh, and and yeah, and then that uh, and in both in terms of the 11 and then the squad. So they had sort of Rashid Khan go in and out and to Bray Shamsi didn't even play, went, went off to the CPL as we've, uh, as we've touched on, uh, on that clash. But um, yeah, they, they, I mean, it, it, it never threw them uh, off their stride at all. Yeah. Um, from sort of conversation I've had, it seemed like they debriefed pretty well after year one, they had a pretty good first season, but um, mm-hmm. lost quite, quite badly in the eliminator and, um they were they were pretty they were a bit stodgy basically at the top last year um they they opened with uh darcy Shaw, who was quite badly out of form and hales um who, who wasn't in the best nick himself and then milan was sort of milan 1.0 at the time where he was stodging around at the start of his innings um and as a result they kept on i think there was one game where they got like 140 odd and thought they'd got a decent score at Edgebaston, and birmingham knocked it off with 25 balls to spare um, so they debriefed pretty well and were like, yeah, we need to go a lot harder this year. We need to make sure we've got batting depth so that everyone feels as though they have license. Um, and then, you know, you, you have certain moments in the tournament where um, that comes to the fore. Like they had it, there was a the game I went to see them at Edgebaston. They, they, I think they were 50 for six or something like that. And then Gregory and Sam's put on, I think, 92 for the sixth or seventh mm. wicket. Um, and that was one way, even though they, they lost the game. The fact that they were in it for quite a long time, having started as badly as they did, probably gave them a sort of reassurance that they were doing the right sort of things. And that if you can have one bad game where you actually compete pretty well against the, the runners up from the year before, um, maybe you're onto something. And yeah, they, they I, I, as as I said, they, they've had depth in terms of both batting and bowling. They had obviously the, the opening partnership. It's a pretty simple game where you have two very good openers, one left hand, one right hand. And uh, they're both in good form. That, that obviously helps in any tournament. Um, but yeah, it was it was very much the the middle order and uh, even lower order that bailed them out on the weekend. Um, and yeah, as as Vish says, it seems like um, Flower has sort of, uh, you know, he he's got a, a an unbelievable record in 
franchise T20 leagues and short form leagues now, I think he's almost always qualified for the playoffs, um, whether that's been in the T10 or the CPL or wherever. Um, and yeah, now he's got, a, a, I think, a second trophy after last year's PSL to go with it. And it all seems quite incongruous with um, the sort of, you know, Strauss cook trot, um, boring, boring England from 10 years ago. Yeah, and KP uh, was loving it, the, uh, the reveling in the irony in that post-match to Plough being on board the, the, I think, the franchise gravy train, as as uh, Peterson put it, um, which I'm not sure is what the not sure is what the ECB approved message is. Uh, he was he was pretty he was pretty good at at, at um, giving that through uh, the tournament. Otherwise, um, Vish, given that you you interviewed her a few days before the final. Uh, just a word on on Southern Brave, um, Charlotte Edwards' team. Uh, do we call them Lottie's Bottlers now? They've only lost three games over the course of two uh, editions of the 100, but um, two of them were the final. Um, we probably shouldn't call them that uh, <laughs> because I find Charlotte Edwards quite scary as well. But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> there, there is um you know i wonder wonder if maybe the they could say that the eliminator played a part in their performance this year it seemed to be that they made quite a few wrong decisions on the day i think like charlotte edwards when i spoke to her was talking about the um you know their, their decision making and how she's entrusted players <laughs> i sort of think a bit more for themselves and, and be a bit more liberal in how they approach their cricket, being able to bowl every set, not necessarily looking to the bench or a senior player to to guide them otherwise. And you know, Georgia Edwards sorry, Georgia Adams got a duck and she's been um thinking about right back her during the eliminator. She's been one of the players who's come in, you know, primarily as an opener and not done either of those either either of those things in that one of the things she did was not bowl in twenty twenty one and her offspin has been quite useful and she's been someone in the middle order who's been able to you know, push the boat out come the end, and she wasn't able to do that at all. And you know, even on that pitch, it didn't feel like they had enough runs. And Capsie's little burst at the start was a help towards that because it never really felt that they were ever going to be swallowed by the you know, by the balls remaining. The runs were always, you know, especially after Cap found her eye. And well, she ended up hitting five boundaries in the end. I think by the time she did hit a second, they were pretty much comfortably under that. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's just one of those things. I, I think maybe because of the nature of the format as well, and the fact that there were, you know, what there were only six games in the women's competition this time around, because mm. of the Commonwealth yeah. Games, there was, they might have, you know, they might have ended up going through to the final outright without having to need an eliminator. But yeah, I, I think the fact that you get through to the knockout stages and you, and you kind of have that, I suppose, that consistency in quite a volatile format. Bear in mind that. A lot of these players are Southern Viper players as well, and they've, you know, Hayo Flynn champions two years in a row. They won the inaugural Charlotte Edwards Cup this year, or they won the Charlotte Edwards Cup this year. They, they clearly know what to do in big games. Perhaps, you know, maybe we can extrapolate and say that bigger game, big crowd has brought uh, some unique pressure upon a group of domestic players who maybe need to take that next step. Next step, but I don't know. I think it's just one of those things, really. I don't really think you can. I don't really think we could call them bottlers not yet anyway maybe three times in a row yes <laughs> okay nice. we'll, we'll we'll put that one on ice uh for now um obviously in the hundred every ball counts uh, but were you counting every ball 
Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that there were 6,537 balls bowled in the men's competition, 5,006 in the women's competition. Um, I'll come to you, Matt, first. Any particular favourites? What were your favourite balls? Uh, good question. Um... <laughs> I mean, they, they are all equal. All balls uh, are bowled equally, but some are more equal than others, obviously. The best ball and the most enjoyable ball was the one uh where jason roy inside edge came richardson onto his stumps and the bale lit up and shot up and then went straight back down onto <laughs> the stumps that was good i enjoyed that, that. it was kind of fit, fit the whole like um tortured j roy narrative that we've had throughout the summer which is actually i don't know i've kind of i've kind of hated watching jason roy <laughs> maybe i've hated to love watching jason roy this summer i don't know it's been really weird where it like it's been it put it's been one of those things where you know you shouldn't look at it but you can't take your eyes away um where it feels really cruel that he keeps getting thrust out into the middle of a field in front of 25,000 people and struggling as he has but it's been really fascinating to watch and that game particularly felt like it was the one where oh right it's going to be one of these where he, he you know he gets dropped and uh that happens and he's 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 back Jason Roy's back um, but in fact, it was the, the innings immediately before he did his back and has been left out of the World Cup. And yeah, his England career is sort of in, in doubt. So uh, that was my favourite. Um, Vish, you can, you can obviously pick balls that runs were scored off as well. I mean, runs, all runs, um, every run counts too uh, in the 100. Uh, I know that's not the tagline, but... Um... <laughs> um, my, I think my favourite ball was the penultimate ball of the women's eliminator when Natsiva hit it for six and <laughs> did that beautiful thing of, you know, where she like crouches down as if it gets a, you know, as if she's kind of willing the ball over the, over the boundary and has to crouch down because she needs a different perspective of it or because it looked a bit higher. Therefore, she was a little bit more hopeful because obviously it did go over the, over the line for six and I thought she'd won the game basically. And then she clothed the last ball. She'd gone through the side. There were gaps there beyond beyond the infield. But I think that was my favourite ball because it was a. I was just about to swear, but it was. I think it was the first time watching the competition. Where I was like, "Oh my days! This mm. is this is crazy." Um, my other one, and this, it's it's not the nicest thing to say, but um, it was during the. Um, I was going to call it the Roses game. It was during the, the Super Chargers, <laughs> Chargers Originals game. As the first all, one, all county fans Tra- know and love it. Yeah. The Roses game. At, at Old Trafford, where Wayne Madsen gets out and Andre Russell comes in, and the ball before Wayne Madsen gets out, a couple of people who um, were in 100 gear, you know, working for the ECB, said, we really need Dre Russ to come in and hit a few sixes, don't we? <laughs> And I thought I thought it was quite instructive the whole thing. You know, we talked about it before with the domestic players. You know, Wayne Wayne Madsen is an excellent player, and <laughs> you know you, you can you can watch him and get as much joy from you know maybe watching Andre Russell. But it was the idea that like the competition needed Dre Russell, it did need Wayne Madsen. Poor 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 Wayne Madsen. I know. Yeah. Uh, um, there were uh, yeah there were some good moments in there. There was uh, Alana King's hat trick. There was uh, the first hundred hundred. Uh, by uh, Will Smead. Um and there was uh, I fact I think I'm going to go with Paul Walter uh, plopping one into the crowd to break the 200 mark uh, uh, for Manchester Originals at Northern Superchargers uh, in that Roses game. 
uh, a great moment, which was heard around the world, I think. Um, Matt, in terms of uh, sort of players that were showcased, um, uh, Paul Walter was the joint leading wicket taker in the competition, along with Jordan Thompson and Tom Helm. Um, uh, only one of them is in the squad to uh, tour Pakistan um, ahead of the World Cup. Um, and uh, I mean, th- there is uh, obviously now a high profile vacancy in the side with Johnny Bairstow's injury uh, ruling him out of the tournament. The uh, minute moments, it seemed, uh, um, uh, certainly uh, it broke a, a few hours after Rob Key had been saying that uh, Johnny Bairstow would open uh, alongside Joss Butler because Jason Roy, as, as you've touched on, um, was having a, a shocker and had been left out. Um, so David Mann is a candidate, the leading run scorer in in the hundred. Uh, Phil Salt was also um, uh, up there, uh, and then Will Jacks was fourth behind Adam Lythe, who was, I think, the tournament MVP. Um, you can explain that one, but um, yeah, there 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 are you know uh, some of these players are going to get chances with England in the in the coming weeks, to, and you're going to be there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I guess Luke Luke Wood was. Probably mm-hmm. one of the one of the sort of standouts for me. I think bowled at really good pace. Um, bowled some really really good um, spells. Um, bowled pretty well in the in the final. Actually, I thought even though he didn't necessarily sort of stand out in terms of his figures. Um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, obviously from from an England point of view, I suppose the um, yeah, batting in particular, it felt like a lot of overseas players didn't actually really fire. I think. Um, out of the top sort of 10 or 12 run scorers, I think only Colin Munro was an overseas player. So um, I don't know whether that says more about the sort of the in and out, the, the stuff that we've already discussed on overseas players or whether it, it does just show that there's a lot of talent in terms of uh, England white ball batters. Um, yeah, I, I don't... It was a strange one, wasn't it? Because Matthew Mott was talking about trying people trying to push their case in the 100 and what actually seems to have happened is everyone's just gone down injured because, um, you, you know, you lost... Chris Jordan, Tom Mills, out to prevent injury. Josh Butler, uh, yeah, top top lead pulled out to avoid it and all this stuff. So uh, it's probably not gone quite um, as anyone would have wanted. My theory, I've told Vish this, is that basically everything that bad that happened in this England summer relates back to the rescheduled India test um, and the sort of knock-on effects that's had on the schedule, squeezing the white ball schedule. Yeah. Um, it's put a lot of more strain on bodies than it would otherwise have had. Um, and while I and you know it upset people about the the blast knockouts with England players not being available, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And I, I basically think you can you, you know you can you can look at the domino effect that that had, and that will explain why uh, why everything's gone wrong. Um, but You're yeah, blaming the BCCI, um, basically. Yeah, so, basically taking the um, easy way out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty easy answer, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so I, I think in terms of England players that have actually further their case. Clearly, Milan has, has sort of had a really good summer in um, T20 and hundred cricket. I think is is particularly noticeable how he he has just gone so much harder at the top of his innings, um, and that seems to have really worked. He seems to have thrived opening as well. So I think he'll be a, a genuine contender to do that for England in the World Cup, even though he's almost exclusively batted at three in T20s, uh, T20 internationals. Uh, Salt, I suppose, probably had the the season that people had hoped he would have have last year, where um, you know he's really sort of consistently 
put put numbers up. Um, I think he got three fifties across the comp, but you know, just, just was really dominant in the power play, and I think ended as second highest run scorer. Um, Jax has put his name in the hat, and obviously, depending on what when England decide to name the the Bearstow replacement, uh, he might already have had a couple of innings by then and a couple of chances to impress, which would, um, you know, put him in a good spot. Um, to mm. to be that replacement and then um yeah you know there's been been various sort of flashes of brilliance from people like Sam Curran as well Jordan Cox had a couple of good knocks um and yeah I think England's clearly aren't going to go into the World Cup as favourites given the the sort of tumultuous 12 months I guess they've had in in white ball cricket but I think they'll go in with a reasonable chance and will be reassured by some performance some big performances during the comp. Um, somewhat ironically, in terms of people pushing for places in the 100, uh, Vish, England for the World Cup squad have um, picked three guys that haven't played a single T20 this uh, calendar year in Ben Stokes, Chris Wokes and Mark Wood. Yeah, yeah. And um, we'll find out if that matters <laughs> soon enough. I mean, I, I think it does. Um, bear in mind that Stokes was rested from the T20 series this summer with uh, because he was supposed to be playing in the ODI series against South Africa and then retired after the first one. So um, <laughs> not ideal, but um, yeah, it feels like, you know, as Matt said, they're not going to affect from India and everything else, the pinch on everything else. Um, this could, the T20 World Cup could go very badly indeed. And I think the ECB will only have themselves to blame. Well, we'll all be braced for that. It's, you know, that's really the sweet spot for many of us. Um, in terms of the squeeze, I mean, the, the Pakistan T20s begin six days after the final day at the Oval. Um, Vish, you're obviously preparing for this this last hurrah uh, of the men's international summer because then there's a, a whole series of women's games uh, going on as well. But um, third test against South Africa, you, you're quickly switching between formats here for you, but... Um, no best though, obviously, because he's uh, done his lower limb. Um, and uh, Harry Brook to debut. Yeah, um, it's it's finally Harry Brook season, and I feel like the um, you know the forty twenties that he's played for England so far with the soft launch, and now we're getting him on main. So um, <laughs> no, I'm really excited. I think it's you know ever since the beginning, I know there's a there's a bit of hyping up being done, but. Ben Stokes would always mention Harry Brook. He was never really in line for selection because of the nature of that, you know, four, five, six. And with Ollie Pope having, you know, made the first call to Stokes to say that I want about three and getting that locks in, you know, Brook has always been, this guy has been travelling on the periphery probably when he should have been playing cricket elsewhere just to keep himself ticking over. But he's happened upon this chance and it happened. It's coming at a time when he's in very good form with the Red Bull. You know, he averages... 107, I think, in first-class cricket. That's for Yorkshire and, and the England Lions as well this summer. Um, and really, yeah, it couldn't have asked for a better setting. You know, the Oval is one of the better batting tracks in the world in Test cricket. He has, He's going to be batting in a position that he's very familiar with. Bear in mind, it was only a month ago that he was saying that he'd be happy to open the batting, but he doesn't have to now. He can, you know, for the first time in a while, a, a young debutant who isn't an opener is going to be batting where he wants. And, you know, he might... He, this. This is basically because of what's happened with Best over the rest of the, you know, for the rest of the year now. This is his until 2023. You know, he's got some flat decks in Pakistan to get used to, you know, to look forward to as well. Um, and yeah, no, it's an exciting time. I think the way people talk about Harry Brook, um, I think if you're an England fan, you've 
got everyone to be very, very excited by what could happen in the next few days because he hits the ball so clearly, hits the same ball in different areas and yeah, you know, join the Brook Revolution because um, as, as someone who had heard about him for a bit, you know, he was obviously formerly, formerly the under-19 captain. He was the one person from that crop who everyone talked about as the one who was going to make it. Um, yeah, it's, I, you know, very cool to be here and no doubt being at his debut will be something that going forward I can boast about basically because, yeah, very exciting player. Excellent. Um, and also one last goal on the Zach Crawley slot machine, um, at least for now, you would think. Um, <laughs> OK, the cutoff is looming and I don't trust either of these two without five men in the deep. The hundred can go back to lurking in a cupboard under the stairs while we pull up the comfort blanket of the county championship. Just don't mention the Strauss review lying on the kitchen table. We'll be back for more after the test. Until then, my thanks to Vish and Matt and to all for tuning in to the Switch Hits podcast on ESPNQuickInfo.com. Thank you.